Hey, 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 welcome back to Spilling the GNT. You're here with Bolo. And Dr. Tom. No, we're here to give you the opinion you never really asked for. But we're giving it anyway. <laughs> That's right. Now, Bolo here's a performer. Hey, and Dr. Tom's a psychiatrist. Hmm. And we're here to give you our professional... Professional? Professional review on... RuPaul's Drag Race. Period. Are you ready? I'm more than ready. All right, now give me the mic. Okay, hey everyone, welcome back. Um, Happy 2020, isn't it? 2020. You're a perfect vision. Yes. So this is the first podcast of the, the podcast. <laughs> a bit of Polynesian coming through. So this is the first podcast of the year. Now with RuPaul's Drag Race UK done, what we're doing is we're waiting until the next one. And the next one's going to be RuPaul's Drag Race season 12, isn't it? Because I because B sent us a link and the link said that there's about, I think, six months for All Stars 5. Mm. So there's definitely going to be season 12 before, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but the interesting thing about that All-Stars 5 was that I thought was the thumbnail, which confirmed a lot of the uh, the, the queens have been suspected to be lined up on it. That's correct. So the queens that I saw was um, Soleil Coulé. Yeah. There was, um, who else? Juju B, Derek Barry, uh, Mariah Paris Balenciaga. Um, India Farah. Yep, India Farah. Um, there were a few season three queens, weren't there? Blessing Claire, Mayhem Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, who's Bam, Bam, Bam? Oh, Alexis Mateo. Alexis Mateo. Yeah. Um, is it is it the full cast? Uh, most of them, most of them. Yeah, so it did confirm a lot of that. So until that happens, and until season twelve comes up, we're just going to be talking a lot of, I guess popular culture around the field of drag and you're very very lucky because my two besties from new zealand is here now they're they're very they're very new this is their first podcast um i'll let you quickly introduce yourself uh my name's william um i've known paolo now how many years would it be five years must be yeah a a bit longer i don't know yes too long can't remember (laughs) and what do you do william Uh, i work in commercial property Okay. And are you single, William? I am single. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll post the link up to William's um, Tinder. Cause t- Tinder? Grinder? Instagram? Match? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's Christian's... Chris, what's that Christian? Christian Mingle. Like? Christian yeah, Mingle? that's exactly... Yep, you've got it. Yeah, and, then, and we also have Juju or Juliet. Hello, Juliet. Hello. Do you want to give us a little intro about yourself? Yes, I'm Juliet from New Zealand, <laughs> and I have known Bolo Bless for about a decade. Yes. How are you finding the UK, both of you? Warmer than expected. It is, yeah, actually, <laughs> warmer than expected. Yes. Mm. So the reason that we've um, decided to put my two besties here on the podcast is, well, we all know that Tom and I are super fans. Mm. Um, William and Juju aren't a super fans. I know that Juju is a fan of... How, how would you describe your fandom, Juliet, when it comes to Drag Race? Um, deeply interested. <laughs> yes. Pending borderline potential obsession. <laughs> <laughs> and William, I don't, I don't think, I think William's seen, uh, maybe you can count on one hand how many episodes of Drag Race. Yeah, you used to inflict them with me occasionally yeah. when we were um, <laughs> hanging out back in Auckland. And, uh, I, and I recently just saw one, um, or was it two, the other day with you here. You saw a few of All Stars 4, didn't you? Yes, I that's mean, right. I think the wonderful thing about this is the guys have flown in, especially just for this podcast, all the way from New Zealand. <laughs> we got the call. Yesterday, day before, heading off tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, such is the dedication to the pod. Now, the reason we got them to come on the podcast, as we were saying, is that um, I wanted to uh, get their opinion 
um, on dragdom, dra- RuPaul's Drag Race, drag and everything like LGBT kind of, um, a lot of our listeners, especially some of your friends, Tom, they don't really follow the show. But they have an obligation as friends <laughs> to listen to the podcast. So I know that they're probably putting it on in the background and have no idea what, what we're talking about or any of the drag queens specifically. And I think that you two, especially William, represent those friends. Those people that don't really know about it. And I actually really wanted to get your opinions on everything basically around that so hopefully people can relate to how you feel and and people can listen to what you think or how you think about that now william's a rarity see william's a gay guy that doesn't really get into a lot of the drag stuff so it'll be be really interesting to to see what you have to say about that you guys ready for a a little a little g and t spilling absolutely yes can't wait such enthusiasm (laughs) can you just (laughs) (laughs) they've got their raspberry g and t's at the ready okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna get to this question here's my first question to you guys what are your thoughts on drag queens it, one Silence at a time. Golden. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the one. time. <laughs> and that's spilling the GNT. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please stop crowding the mic, guys. <laughs> one at a time. Um. So I, it's a, it's actually really funny because I can remember as a child dressing up, you know, dress up box, not going to the band's clothing. Actually, you know, gravitating towards the all the beautiful female sort of refinery. Um, looking back on that as an adult male, uh, I don't understand the fascination actually with drag (laughs) culture. Um, I can see where it's come from and and the way that it's sort of evolved US context, uh, UK context, but personally myself, you know, uh, I'm male, I'm attracted to masculinity, to men, um, and I, I don't see the correlation. Oh yeah, I don't see it either. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, William. Um, I actually have a, a great respect for um, the arts anyhow, and I, and I absolutely think that drag provides a forum for those who wish to have that form of expression, so I'm absolutely supportive of it. I can, I mean, sorry, did I interrupt no, you? No, no. Okay, yeah, because I saw you pulling a blank. And, that's uh, often how uh, I look when I'm speaking. <laughs> Shooting a blank there. and I, I never had I, that issue. <laughs> I remember um, what I used to think about drag queens. I... In New Zealand, I, would, I think I've seen this in the podcast yeah. before. I, w- I actually thought they were, I have to say, disgusting. Because like you, William, um, I didn't... S- I-, I thought it was weird. Less? I thought it, it was weird. I thought I, th- I just maybe. didn't see why men were dressing up as women. I didn't see any beauty in it. And I used to, I used to be very judgmental. Someone's of, of poisoning them. the water supply in Auckland. Well, yeah, and maybe the level or the standards were different, perhaps, and w- maybe what was on offer in Auckland wasn't as impressive, perhaps, in what you're seeing today with a more glamorised. But you know, a lot of time and energy goes into. There's, there's a kind of an unspoken standard for drag today, and I don't mm. think you can come in at you know circa twenty years ago in that same style and still be. Ex- you know, on the same playing level playing field. I think I think drag race has contributed hugely to that kind of um, pushing on of, of the the aesthetic of drag in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, because even watching early series compared to more recent series, some of the the things that the girls brought to the earlier series in terms of you know wigs, costumes, makeup skills, they even though they looked fabulous, they just wouldn't cut it. 
um, in, in, in today's series. Um, I liked what you were saying, William, about the uh, being drawn to the, the feminine items in the dressing up box when you were little, because I was the same, actually. Um, I thought men's clothes were just so boring, and why wouldn't I want to play around with the, the fabulous, frilly, lacy dress? You know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, you know, I've not grown up to be a drag queen or transgender. It's just, it's just something that sometimes there's a curiosity about it in, in your young life. I wonder if sometimes, you know, socialization can kind of like guide us away from those, that, that kind of like playful aspect of like dabbling with femininity. Um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts about mm, that. That's interesting actually. Yeah. Because I think uh, particularly within my own family, there's sort of a, a strong matriarchal um, precedent that's set there. So perhaps some of that's also, you know, uh, as a as a child, you know, you're looking up to your mother, to your grandmother, and mm. perhaps to some of the uh, more glamorous elements of their wardrobes, and perhaps wanting to replicate that uh, on yourself. Yeah, yeah, I can connect with that as well. I was certainly like surrounded by strong women growing up, and didn't so much connect with a lot of masculine figures in my life, to be honest. I remember. I think I used to do that. I think I did that with both my mom and my dad. Mm. I remember trying on my mom's lipstick and I only remembered trying on my mom's lipstick when I was younger, when we were at, um, we, we were shopping, we were shopping at John Lewis in, in the city <laughs> and um, there was lipstick for men. And I was like, oh, what? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm that person that when I go into any store like Harrods or John Lewis or especially the airports, I'm that person that will put on every single, I will, every sample, I'm spraying this on me, I'm putting this on my face, I'm that person. So, of course, when I saw the lipstick, I was like, oh, I want to try it on. And then I put some lipstick on me and then I had like a memory of that, was that there was a taste in the smell, most of the taste of the lipstick that took me back to a moment when I was younger trying on my mom's lipsticks. So I was like, oh, I did do that. Um, and, and also, um, I was, I've also got a memory of watching my dad shave. And um, so I remember being young when dad was at work. I used to go into the bathroom, lock it, and I, I thought it was toothpaste. So I put toothpaste on my skin, and I was using my dad's razor. And I remember how painful it was because it's toothpaste on the sensitive <laughs> skin. And I was like, oh my God, my dad's so strong. He does this every day. So I just, so I remember being attracted to both the, the masculinity and uh, my, the, I didn't know then, but the femininity of, of my mom. My question now is, William, I wanted to ask you or see what everyone else thinks. Do you think your perception of drag queens would change if you watched RuPaul's Drag Race more? Because I'm, I'm letting you know that my perception of drag queens definitely changed when I watched RuPaul's Drag Race. I was very, very, I didn't understand. I didn't want to understand drag queens. I thought they were a freak of nature. And then I started to watch some series because Melissa, you know, Melissa, um, I came home, we were flatting together and she was watching it. And then I started watching it at the background, mocking them and laughing. And then it was the personal elements. It was it was when they were not in drag and you saw the human behind them and you you saw the struggles. Um you, you saw that personal that that oh, I always say this word about that vulnerability that I I could connect with. And then I started to see them as an artist. I started to see them as performers and that had completely changed how I see drag queens. Do you think something similar could happen to you if you watched it more? Well, it's interesting that you say that because I do remember you being a fan of uh, Drag Race back in New Zealand uh, as well. So, 
you know, there is sort of a dichotomy there between what your attitude was and saying that you found them disgusting, yet also watching them on TV um, fairly regularly. Um, and it's interesting that you touched upon the, the humanising point, because I, I think that that's often what they try to do with these sorts of shows. And mm. I think that I'm particularly resistant to that sort of manipulation. Um, so... But it's also interesting there that you mentioned about the artistry because obviously you know what a fan I am of um, of the arts. And mm-hmm. um, I, I suppose that when I think of somebody um, like Grace Jones, I believe the other day we were sort of talking about music and touched on this, that I'd originally heard something by her years ago and thought it was absolute rubbish. Um, came back many years later, complete new appreciation of her as an artist, completely changed my perception and became a, a massive fan of hers. So... Um, I, I'm not going to rule it out, um, but... But right now, you stand firm on how you feel. Yes, I, I you're think... Al- you're allowed your feelings in this in this room, in this space. It, just, just you know, don't, don't think that you have to... No, I mean, I'm not someone who's going to pander to what you want, mm. am I? I mean... <laughs> no. Exactly. Mm. I'm like, why are you trying to act all innocent? I know you. <laughs> so I'm trying to be like, mm, well, no, you know you know who you are. You know what you like. You know what you want. But it's interesting because we were talking about um, oh, Dame Edna the other day. And, you know, complete, you know, that's a drag queen, really. But um, completely different point of view on that. And I suppose it's more around the individual and, um, and not so much the holistic sort of perspective of drag in general. Just to, I'd like to ask you, Bella, can you remember which queens it was that kind of piqued your interest when you started watching Drag Race or who helped to change your mind? No. Oh, do, you, do you want thank, me to... Do you, <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for the words. I, um, no, I, I don't. I don't remember at all. But I, I remember, I remember how I felt. Okay. I don't know what it is that, that was said. I don't know when they said it, but like um, it happened and I just felt really, really touched by it. But I can't really pinpoint when it happened, but it when happened. When did the drag queen touch you? <laughs> yeah, point on the stall. When did he touch you? <laughs> it was Miss Rabina, wasn't it? We've all been there. Buckwheat. It was buckwheat. <laughs> Trauma. Okay. Uh, well, that kind of answers my next question that I had. Um, but the, oh, again, this opens everyone. Would you date a drag queen? Um, let me ask... Juju, would you date a drag yes, king? Yes, I would. Oh. Yes? Oh, no. I'd be incredibly jealous. My entire relationship, no. No, 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 no. Why not? Because there's a standard there that I... Your Louboutin heels are for you. They're mine. I don't want to share my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I never thought about dating a drag king. Or, or a drag queen, either or. Just a drag. Yes, a drag person, a drag vigil. <laughs> a drag vigil? Many drag vigils. My name's Juliet, natural brunette. <laughs> um, well, actually, it's a funny thing. I, I did go on a few dates with a guy um, who I later found out actually did get into drag, and I wasn't entirely repulsed by it, but it certainly wasn't one of the factors that um, that made me more interested in him. And, and as you can see by the ring on my finger, things are going really well. Um, no, he was a drag queen. He was a smoker. It, all went downhill from there. <laughs> it's, it's interesting what you say, though, because um, a lot of the queens on Drag Race have reflected on their difficulties in dating by virtue of being drag queens. Um, but a lot of them have said recently that the culture on that seems to be changing somewhat with the, the mainstream acceptability of drag nowadays, thanks to Drag Race. Um, so how, how long ago was it that you dated this person? Um, 
earlier 2019. Um, oh, okay, so quite, not that long ago then. Yeah, quite quite <laughs> recent. Hence yeah. why my my incredulity at um, the whole men being attracted to men versus you know drag having a negative impact on on these drag queen sex life apparently. Mm. And I guess like you know we've all got um, uh, you know we're all attracted to different sorts of people. And I guess your, your average drag queen will often be a, a cisgender man, but who might be a little bit more feminine and flamboyant than most. And there are plenty of people out there who are attracted to people who are a bit more flamboyant and feminine, other people who are attracted to people who are a bit more conventionally masculine. And it's just a matter of individual taste, really, isn't it? I need to ask you, William, um, is it the drag queen thing that you're not into? Because it seems to me this person that you would have dated would have been somewhat feminine, no, no, not at no. all, actually. Um, that was the surprising thing. And and often I've found um, you kind of have an idea of what my type is. Mm. Um, and we'll, you know, for the sake of not offending anyone, um, refrain from your terminology. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Would you th- like to describe them now? <laughs> no. I've been on dates with guys and I think, twice i found out that i went through their stuff and i saw a picture of them doing drag this was but this was like when i was just seeing rupaul drag race and like and also when i was i was i was a fan at this stage but um like you said it's it wasn't my thing and um i, th- I think it did kind of put me off now looking i don't i don't know how i feel about it now i mean i i'm completely honest i, 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 was, I approached it from a very open-minded point of view i was willing to reassess what my perspective on drag was for the sake of um you know knowing the sky so it, but it's sort of funny because actually on reflection um party that i was at years ago there was a guy who i'd all my life thought was incredibly handsome and always been very very interested in him and and by virtue of coincidence became one of the flatmates of a friend of mine went into a party he was you know singing into a a penis-shaped bottle opener and uh wearing a blonde lady gaga wig knocking out some britney spears early 90s kind of hit and um it really did alter my impact um impact and alter my point of view of that guy in that sort of split second moment yep does this automatically make the assumption that if they can we say dabble in the drag that that some way that means they're too feminine for you or i don't know is that is that what you're well i don't know because we we never actually said that i like mass guys here we are all are jumping to putting words in my mouth no i just maybe i felt as alluding to the fact that there's something to be threatened by that all of a sudden it's a deal breaker. That when you that you find that they're, um, I w- I don't know whether I'd necessarily say threatened by that, but just um, more so the fact that I am not necessarily going to find that individual as attractive because it's perhaps. But is it just just a performance art though? I mean, and I suppose if you approach it from that point of view, it might. It could change my opinion, perhaps. You know, I've got a lot of respect for performance artists, but I suppose that that's where I it probably ties into the high, the high brow culture, low brow culture kind of thing, and that where I might draw the line as something being performance art would perhaps 
have a level of intellectual pursuit or conceptual sort of framework behind it that differs from what you might find in drag uh and but this again is interesting because you know if you look at that that ties very much back into the traditional music hall kind of origins of drag as a more perhaps lowbrow kind of performance art for entertaining the masses um Mm. which is really different from the aesthetic point of it um, with, for example, the um, the American origin. Mm. I think it's, there are drag queens out there though, who do mix up kind of more conventionally highbrow um, styles of art with, with their drag aesthetic. I mean, we've seen queens like sort of uh, Sasha Velour, um, Kim Chi, they draw on a range of different stylistic and artistic influences. And that's one of my favorite things about drag, I think, the fact that it can really be a collage. They can become like this living collage of their own taste, like this. And, and it could be a very uh, pop arty type of collage. It can be uh, more conventional, classic kind of art that they draw influence on. Um, and I think that's why, but I guess what, whichever way it's packaged. But I guess, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking out loud now. The the drag that we see on Drag Race is certainly, you know, by, by virtue of being there, very mainstream. And the, the kind of queens that RuPaul is going to select are going to be, you know, more palatable to the masses. But then we, we also watch Dracula, don't we? And certainly they're far more underground, shocking performance artists, um, usually. Um, and so I, I guess it just depends which which drag you're exposed to and which drag you're into. I wonder, what, you know, with regards to feminine and masculine, I wonder if the reason why a lot of a lot of men, you know, when I say men, like guys, lads, like other guys who are like lads, is because it doesn't out them. If they, you know, when when if they're dating a feminine person, it's it's it goes against. Um, it's 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 too obvious. The gay thing is too obvious, and a lot of people want to suppress it. They don't want to be pigeonholed as that gay and dating someone who is that gay you don't want to associate yourself with that it's it's that it's that kind of masculine culture what are your thoughts on that well i think yeah you're you're sort of touching upon the um whole kind of toxic masculinity thing that we hear about now and i don't know whether i would necessarily say that it's extending to that because to a degree you are attracted to what you are attracted to i mean for example, and and this is where it's very interesting that there's suddenly also a debate out there about um, preference gays and that sort of thing, and and I won't go down that alley, but, um, you know, I suppose if you like blonde guys, you like blonde guys, and if a guy with dark hair approaches you, you're, you're going to not be as into that, and it's the same sort of thing, isn't it, that with femininity versus masculinity there is no correct or incorrect and you are what you are um you like what you like at 100 percent so um i i know in the past we used to debate the whole would you date a feminine guy wouldn't you rather you know have a girlfriend than that uh because if you were interested in femininity that would kind of that's the ultimate isn't it you know and it's not saying that there's anything right or wrong with either of those perspectives yeah i agree with you in the sense that so long as they're both portrayed as equal i think it's when femininity is portrayed or described as less than or inferior to that's when it becomes problematic and i think we've all seen that on dating apps haven't we where feminine people are described with a sense of denigration that's when it becomes a big problem and that's when the concept of toxic masculinity comes in as 
as you were describing there, mm-hmm. William, you know, it, everybody has different tastes. And as long as we're not comparing them in some sort of hierarchy, I don't think it's problematic. There was somebody that was um, in the news lately or on social media, which that's basically the news, isn't it? And I'm remembering we had a large discussion around the topic of the term fishy. Now, um, if you didn't know, it was Vivian and Bega has been basically put on blast for using that term in, in, in an interview. No? Okay, can you? Sorry. <laughs> Do you want to take over? <laughs> they were on um, a, an end of year comedy panel show called Big Fat Quiz of the Year. And they were asked to describe a range of drag related terms. They were just presented to them as cards. One of the terms that came up was fishy. And I don't remember the exact terminology, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but the Vivian uh, described that, that term as meaning to resemble a real woman. Let's put that in, in inverted commas. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of backlash. And to, to, to be honest, to me, the backlash didn't come from where I expected it to come from, because I've always seen the offence with the term fishy as actually being offensive to cisgender women, because it's origins of the term um, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with that. Do we need to describe it? Please describe it because I didn't I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did change my thoughts on that term after I learned, but I'm naive. So I, I, I thought fishy, not now. I, I thought fishy was, um, because you know fish? <laughs> you know how fish, like they're really slimy? Fish are really, really... Yeah, go on. <laughs> fish are very smooth and slimy. Even though they've got scales, they're very, very... They have tails. That, they have that sheen and they're slimy. And googly little eyes. So, <laughs> yes. So, I thought that when someone was saying they're fishy, that they're smooth and like... And, and like I resembled Aquaman. I resembled that with um, a woman. So, I didn't... I did not think fishy came from where it actually came from. So, now you can tell where fishy came from. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I prefer your description, to be honest, because um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there have dipped into Dracula. And if they saw the latest season, Hollow Eve um, had an educational moment when they um, told us all where it came from and why it was offensive and why they didn't tolerate that term. And it's because it makes reference to um, women's reproductive organs and particularly drawing on the smell that can be there if there's you know a problem with the ph balance or anything like that um and so i think cisgender women have every right to be offended by that term because it does have that sense of of um denigration towards women's reproductive parts when actually they're beautiful life creating organs um however the backlash wasn't from cisgender women it was from well, i think there was a particular performer i forget their name now who i believe identified as gender non-binary and described it as offensive to trans women because of the description that um vivian used that it was to resemble in inverted commas a real woman thoughts you are the real woman in yeah the <laughs> yeah we all look we're all looking at our cisgendered woman here and hi i represent all genitalia <laughs> <laughs> i speak for below <laughs> and today i find my voice <laughs> yeah just cut it out <laughs> just yeah. cut it out but like historically i think women their sexual organs their genitalia has been in the possession of a male force. Um, their worth, their value, has, has been controlled through patriarchal means. And I feel like um, women are stepping up to 
the time has come that no longer you will make reference to our bodies and, and with degradation and, and any sort of control. We will have a voice. Mm. So um, that's where I'm coming from. That's right. It's gender representation 101. <laughs> <laughs> William, what do you think about the genitals? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would say my go-to word would have probably been a bread maker to the yeast infection whole kind of connection there. But um... don't come on down, William. Just don't. <laughs> I just think I think more and more every month, every every week, there's more and more of what we can and can't say. And I think we always say that drag shouldn't be policed. Mm. Does that not mean the vernacular as well? Like, where do we draw the line? Because drag is not for children. Drag is not an entertainment for for the kids. And the other thing is, I feel that with the whole offence thing and the fact that, um, you know, you were drawing on shouldn't have been cisgender females who would be offended by that term rather than the trans community, It's it sort of strikes me that, you know, at a point, if people are looking to be offended, they'll find a way to be offended. Yeah, I think we've we've drawn on this several times during the course of the podcast, and we 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 both quite firmly agree that drag queens are adult entertainers, and we're both fans of sub- subversive dark humor, and I think drag queens should reserve the right to to be outrageous, to be subversive, to push boundaries, and to be offensive. Sometimes that involves using language that not everybody agrees with. However, there's a time and a place place for everything. I think in this case, it was in the context of a comedy panel show that was aimed at adults. And to be honest, I, the intention the intention to offend or alienate anybody wasn't there, as far as I could tell. Um, however, am I a fan of the term fishy? No, because of the reasons that I described earlier. But I'm not going to try and tell the Vivienne that she can't say it. And Bagger, let's not forget Bagger was involved too. The Vivienne seems to cop most of the backlog. I kind of agree with it. Um, I think that we're moving into a place where every single thing's becoming offensive. And what then happens with drag humor, drag culture, or or any time of dark comedy? We'll completely agree with any kind of comedy that ultimately people have to be able to laugh at themselves and laugh at everything else. I mean, I don't see why anything should be off limits, really. Um, and I mean, as for the outrageous sort of comments and defensive language and things like that, uh, why why should we be able to limit and restrict what people are able to say with regards to that? I mean, uh, particularly in the context of a humorous environment, um, you know, it, it draws too many barriers. Um, people... I understand people have a right to be offended uh, um, if, it, if it's kind of marginalising communities, but I don't believe that there's any way that you could interpret that as um, as marginalising the trans community. Um, it didn't really even make direct reference to them at all. It seemed like a bit of a reach, I thought, really. It's like you're saying earlier, but sometimes... I, I guess the other thing is social media plays a big role in this, and offence is now immediately palpable because somebody will be tweeting about it somebody will be putting it on facebook and all of a sudden it becomes a news story when actually it might only be a handful of people who share that opinion but all of a sudden it's like oh the backlash the backlash sort of thing um having said that i do think uh, you know i mean perhaps some I, I i do think there's thought to be given to the words that we use at times and what we kind of like put out there into the world and, and make acceptable 
And certainly I think that's true of day-to-day life. Am I going, I'm not going to go around using the term fishy in my day-to-day life at all because um, I don't think it's acceptable in that context. But again, yeah, I'm not going to police a drag queen's right to be offensive. A lot of the offence seems to be coming from the, you know, the younger generation. I sound so old when I say that. They're coming from the millennials who I feel there's a culture of them trying to find offence in anything in general. And I'd hate to be a um, a seasoned drag queen um, who's been working in the field forever, who's actually done a lot to pave the way for trans, gay, and drag rights, whatever they may be, and then having someone younger who hasn't even hit puberty tell me that I'm doing it wrong, tell me that I'm not representing drag the right way, what what can we all say to this? What are your thoughts on that? Up to a point, though, that's human nature, isn't it? That the younger generation's always going to challenge the one that came before it. But it's kind of like, it's got to get to a point, I think, where everything that's offensive can't be said by anyone. So, I mean, right now we're saying that drag queens can't use certain vernacular. They can't use certain words, certain certain terms. I feel like they're allowed to because of the nature of their performing arts, the nature of what it is to be a drag queen. It's almost, I'm going to go to an extreme here, but do you think it's going to get to a point where people are going to start saying, well, black people, you can't say the N-word anymore. I mean, just imagine a millennial, a little white boy telling a black person that they can't do that. Who who am I? Who are they to say that, to, to police that? I know that's an extreme, but I'm just trying to see where does it stop and when is it going to stop? I mean, but up to a point, that's how we, we learn by mistakes, isn't it? And... Um, it's interesting because I was having the same conversation with someone else and it wasn't in, in relation to um, drag or the trans community or any anything else like that, but simply actually in an employment arena when you're a manager and you've got um, staff who you're managing that are actually older than you and, and, you know, it comes back to that whole thing of they're going to go, who are you to tell me what I should do or what works and what doesn't work because... You know, there's there's something to be said from both point of view. That they they might have something that you can learn, and um, you might have a new way of showing them how to do things as well. And mm. and I suppose um, extending that across that that's going to be the case within uh, the drag environment as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely, Juju. You're going to say something, and then we oh, cut you off. Gone. I thought. Well, yeah. I, yeah no. Um, cool. I think when the, that's a risk when you out something as mainstream you invite the mainstream to it yeah so be prepared for it because you're going to have 18 year olds with a high opinion because we're in a world of we're a sense of entitlement and opinionation today anyway so mm. so when you open it up to everyone you will have everyone coming at it so you sort of need to be prepared for that backlash mm. one one of the things i think is um the the awareness of intent as well and the the person and what they represent and how um, it may not always be correct to be offended by careless use of language when the person actually represents things you probably agree with. So I think in this example, the Vivienne, um, she made the point on Twitter that that she's actually done a lot for her trans sisters and brothers um, over the years. And we, we, we've we met um, a, one of her best friends in Liverpool, haven't we, Miss Barbie Pink, who's a, a trans woman who certainly they've got a close relationship and I'm sure... 
that that represents the Vivian's attitude um, towards trans people on the whole. And I think that also a lot of this comes back to the fact that the most vocal minority is going to be the one that's sort of most active on social media. Mm. And so sometimes we do end up seeing something blowing completely out of proportion, as you were sort of touching on earlier, where it gets, you know, five shares and suddenly it's on the news. Yeah. Um, what Talking about backlash and expressing your opinions, like the way that Vivian's done a lot for her sisters and she was called out for speaking out of term that one time. Can the same thing be said for RuPaul and her comment on trans contestants in RuPaul's drag race? Now, I don't think she's ever said anything about trans women in general doing drag. Has she? I don't really remember. I think. Can you? Can you please? I don't want to speak. Out of, I don't. I don't want to make up. Make up crap. My, my awareness of it is that there was one very specific interview um, after season nine. Uh, no, but it is relevant because that's when Peppermint took part. Um, so uh, of Drag Race, when RuPaul said that um, she would not be supportive of trans women um, competing in Drag Race. And this called all sorts of things into question because numerous trans women have competed in Drag Race at various stages of their transition and with varying degrees of openness. And it was notable after season nine because Peppermint, her storyline was coming out as a trans woman in that environment when she'd actually been out as a trans woman for years um, and so, yeah, it invites a lot of backlash from from uh, a lot of people in the community because it was perceived as transphobic. Okay. What are your thoughts? Can trans women do drag? I don't see why they couldn't. Um, although I suppose, obviously, you're a drag queen when you're dressing up in uh, the opposite gender's clothing aren't you so once you've actually transitioned and become uh, a woman and walk the streets day in day out in female clothing then to what extent are you actually dressing up and becoming a character in drag as well i mean what would your thoughts be juju as a woman on this topic can can women do drag if you want to make drag a universal art and you can't turn around and go but not that mm-hmm so what do you stand for? Do you stand for representation for all who want to be represented or feel a place and a sense of belonging? Mm-hmm. I, I feel that it was, it was inevitable that you would have members of the trans community wanting to be actively pursuing. Yeah. So I and, think and in retrospect, you've already set that up to be this way. And RuPaul does preach an inclusivity and universal love philosophy. So I think a lot of people perceive that as being counter mm. to what you're describing there. Um, I would like to say just kind of like my opinion for for the record is that RuPaul has, you know, a bit like the Vivian really, RuPaul has done more than many people for opening up awareness about trans people, drag queens and people at various stages along the gender spectrum. So I think she deserves props for that. And um, also it's her show and she can let on whoever she wants. However, I think the distinction between drag queens and trans women is is artificial and trans women have been part of drag culture for, well, as long as there's been drag culture. Um, when you look at, you know, old documentaries um, about drag in America, you've got trans women like Crystal LaBeija, you've got um, Dorian Corey, um, and, you know, even drag mothers of a lot of the queens um, who have been on drag, drag race, like... Um, Erica Andrews, Calexis Davenport, the um, trans women who have been performing in the art of drag 
And I don't know their individual stories, but many trans women discover their identity through drag. And yet, while, while they may live their life as a woman, do have a separate drag persona, almost like a, a superhero putting on their cape. That's how people sometimes describe it, I think. Thank you. <laughs> Can I be the other voice? Thank you. Can I be the voice of other people who are obviously, well, just playing devil's advocate, really, okay? So, what are our thoughts on queens like Detox, queens like Trinity, who identify as men. So, you know, according to report, they are doing drag because they're men becoming, turning into um, a a queen, a a woman. But they've had so many body enhancements done, but they haven't changed their penis. They haven't done that surgery. They still identify as male, but they've got their hips done, they've got their calves done, they've got their face done, queens who get lips done, queens who get all these injections in their face for the cheekbones. They do all of these things to feminize their feature, to improve their metamorphosis. Okay, so so they're not really changing their sex, but what they're doing is they're enhancing their male bodies. Is this allowed? How, how are they getting away with it? What are our thoughts on that? On, on these men who do surgery, feminize their features, but just haven't done the um, gender surgery. What are our thoughts? What are our thoughts on that? Uh, so Trinity was the one that we saw. Uh, Trinity's the one that we saw on the the recent episodes we were watching. The yes, other day, so, um, yeah, what's that? Yes, Monet Exchange. Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. looked so much better in female get up. So. Mm. You know, it, it would beg the question if that was the case and, and he was to then dress as a man, whether he actually would um, be perceived as being a member of the trans community. Um, you know, it's kind of this, the same thing when you go to, um, like, Southeast Asia and you have the the sort of lady boy um, people, you can't kind of pick what exactly mm-hmm. someone is and, and whether or not, you know, that makes that person a, a trans um, individual. And I suppose at the end of the day, it comes down to how um, you identify and um, and and where your sexuality would kind of lie in, in regards to that. Because, I mean, my understanding is that uh, a lot of the, the people who sort of seek out members of the trans community um, from, from that point of view are uh, usually straight men. So, um, yeah, I... I don't know i'm probably not the right um person to uh to have strong opinions on that whole kind of topic i think it was interesting talking about um and what you were saying about trinity and you know her appearance um and detox as well because rupaul um in, in this interview described um trans women taking part in drag race which she described as the olympics of drag as as being like athletes taking performance enhancing drugs and again where do you draw the line if if you're going to impose something like that do you stop any drag queen with any kind of like feminizing body modification come in how do you even police that you know has she had silicone injected into her bum or has she just got booty um, and also the the important issue of how does somebody identify somebody could be any anywhere along their transition and it's impossible for drag race as a program to police where they are or, or how they identify i think it's i think for rupaul it's basic be a man that's it you know it's evolving hmm. is there an end game for it does it have to look like how it was are we prepared to evolve mm. 
because we're in a world of it's where we we tout a gender fluid world. We don't want to stop it. Mm. So why do we have to put a, a stop gate as to where you need to fit within this regime? I yeah. I think you do a disservice to your cause mm. or what you you want from your contestants mm. if that's that's the case. She's she's forcing narrow definitions there, isn't she? Mm. When when we should be expanding our horizons. Another thing that's happened is that um, some queens have gone into the show and have been forced to butch up because the producers wanted to see this distinction between the quote unquote masculine person in the in the in the um, what's the word it, getting ready, put, you know, putting on her drag compared to the the beautiful, gorgeous, glamorous, feminine drag queen. Um, I think a case in point is Jiggly Caliente in season four, who has since openly living her life as a woman. Um, But um, she was asked to butch up for season four and to play down her femininity in the workroom. Um, There is actually a little reference to this in season four when Willem points out that she's um, wearing a, a woman's shirt in the in the workroom because she can see the hanger strap hanging out of it. But that's because they were Jiggly's clothes. She was living her life as a woman at that point. Is it safe to say that it's a show versus someone's life? That, that what you see in RuPaul's Drag Race isn't an accurate representation of... Is it safe to say perhaps Ru's had her time? Well, apparently, well, so the rumor is... And maybe is, it's time to give it back to the community which she stands for. Oh, there were inverted commas there. I think, you know, when, when does it come to a point maybe that Rue needs to hand over the rain and allow it just to be how it will be? Mm. Maybe it's too much, there's too much um, dictating going on as to how it should look and you know, producers want... It's, you know, it's too commercial. Yes. It's not the a better representation they anymore. A, they want a commercialism. It's sound bites, got it, it's, And now they're trying to change everything. Another thing I sorry, another thing I wanted to touch on is um is talent no longer important? And when I say talent, I mean the performance part of drag. Is talent no longer performance? Is drag now moving to be more more emphasis on the look? Well, I think we had uh briefly talked about this earlier where we kind of talked there's a whole sort of music hall origin to drag in the UK uh, versus uh, in the US context where you've you uh, yourself mentioned that there was a sort of African-American influence there. Um, and I suppose um, what we see sort of coming through there is that within that UK paradigm, it, it is more about the holistic entertainer uh versus the american um being more perhaps you know a, a perfect example of femininity um and i think i've forgotten what your question was <laughs> <laughs> the question based yeah good, good answer thank you very much basically look versus talent is talent important anymore with drag race these days Actually, actually, let me just rephrase the question, okay? Um, what do you guys look for in a drag queen? There. Um, for me, it would hands down be about talent every time. Um, I don't think that there's, you know, it's it's very superficial if all it is is dressing up and looking pretty. Bring, bring it back to performance art, though. Is there any real performance and artistry in dressing yourself up isn't that kind of just basically opening you know opening your foot through the door 
so to speak. Perhaps should you be anything other than what you are? At the end of the day, if you you know if you if you can't sew, if you <laughs> learn, girls, please. <laughs> if you can't sew and you don't look, are you still less worthy as if you do enjoy drag in your life? You know, is the is a standard that we see on Drag Race all that that should be a representation? Or should it just you know? It's, it's one bar. It's been you know. Where do those who aren't there? Do they still have a place, a voice? Has it done a disservice to the community? Is it doing a disservice to the art of drag? Where anyone can do it, wherever you are? Like, it comes uh, back uh, like to the purpose or the intention then. Why do we represent, why do we, why do we support drag if we don't, what does it stand for? Why does Rue support drag? I just feel like drag is anything then. Is that, what it, is, that, is that what it's that's becoming? What I, maybe, maybe that's what it, it should be. Drag is just... Whatever you want to drag in your life, that's for you. You have the ownership. I put a flower in my hair. I'm doing drag. And what, can I go on the show now? Yes, yes, I can. I this grew my hair coming. beyond... I, I grew my I dyed my hair red. I'm doing drag. Well, if Scaredy Cat could make it onto the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Example point taken, see? I just feel like the more and more that we say that, yes, this is drag, and yes, that is drag, the, uh, the, I think we lose, so what, what we lose this, the respect. The or Well, uh, what Do, is? Does anybody know what it is before we say we haven't really reached it? That, what is it? It's, it's just becoming anything. I think it's... And that brings it back to the whole thing that we were talking about earlier, doesn't it? Where if... Uh, drag is simply to be a man dressing up as a woman or vice versa to be a, a woman dressing up as a man that if you are dressing up in the clothes of the other gender are you not in drag uh, you know is that not how we would describe a crossdresser a crossdresser as a man in drag has commercialism ruined drag well i think that's what i'm i'm pointing to what yep. is, what's actually what have we have we done a disservice to drag by those who may not be at that level they're still worthy to be represented so you know how do we come back from that well you see that's where I would draw a line between what is and what isn't art because art that is commercial is generally not as good as as um, something that actually has its own artistic merit to it so if, if the pursuit of something is to monetize it then is it ever going to be really? Art per se. That's really deep, guys. Tom? I am really deep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And humble. Put in your obviously. profile. Put in your profile. <laughs> <laughs> I think um I think it's gonna be a case of each to their own, really, because certainly a lot of the queens who've come out of, of drag race have a certain commercial mass appeal and um, you know, are able to sort of pander to this family-friendly drag con kind of vibe, um, which um, some of us might find a little too sanitized. Um, personally, the kind of drag that I find most entertaining and most interesting is provocative and offensive and thought-provoking, um, and you're not going to see it on mainstream TV, really. You're going to see it in dingy nightclubs. Um, and, yeah, I guess it's just going to be a case. This is a very diplomatic answer, but it's going to be each to their own. <laughs> That's it. Well, that kind of brings up uh, brings us to a sum, sum up. Do you have any questions for us, the super fans, and 
the knowledge of all that is Drag Race, who came second in the pub quiz because we close second. We lost by one point. You've got a private Q and A session here with the host of spilling the G and T. Mini would kill for this opportunity, by the way, just so you know. I, I don't know if you know this, but we have fans all over the world from Mauritania to Argentina to Japan um, to Sweden. Look, I just want to say thank you guys very much for coming on. It was your first time on a podcast. You know what, William, I really want to touch base on you again. I want you to watch a few more RuPaul Drag Race and I want to I want to, to see how it changes your perception because it changed mine and if it doesn't, then I, I, I want to hear about it. I want to hear the truth about it. Um, so would you would you would you binge a season? Uh, no, I'm not going to invest that amount of time. Sorry. Let's go watch some right now. Well, you see, actually, it's interesting because you were you were talking about um, the whole commercialization and, and sanitization of um, some of these queens to make it sort of more family friendly, and it's really interesting the amount of engagement that has occurred sort of within the straight community, people talking about how they can't watch it themselves, but their dads watch it and that kind of thing, which, mm. you know, I, I find that funny because I can't imagine my own father <laughs> doing that. Um, sure. yeah. yeah. Until you go home and it's on TV and he's watching. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's really interesting because I, um, I agree that some of this is sort of a, a evolve from a subculture which wouldn't necessarily um be something that necessarily the straight community might want to participate with and um those sort of dingy bars where a lot of this is growing out of but i think back in those days it, nece- it would actually have been funny and there were people who genuinely brought value where i sort of question um the talent that a lot of these people have is, is where it comes back to having like one kind of catchphrase that they repeat over and over or a yeah. bunch of you know Men mm. sitting around in a workroom calling each other cunts. And, you know, is there really any entertainment in that? Where's that bleep button? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, I, I guess that is true. Like, I would not want to see a drag queen and have them policed. I, I do not want a someone out there too scared to say certain words, too, too, too afraid to really, really get into it. I, that's, that's not a drag queen that I want to see. And I, and that's not a drag queen that I would want for, for the art. Full stop. I just coming back to the, the in some ways though, um, the mainstreaming of drag is something that comes in waves. Certainly in the UK, you know, I remember that. Edge sword. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Um, thinking back to my childhood in the 90s in, in the UK, some of the biggest primetime Saturday night TV stars were drag queens like Lily Savage, um, the, the persona of Paula Grady, who's from Birkenhead, a local, local um, icon. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, we were watching Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> the other day. Another example, you know, there are ways in which drag has infiltrated the mainstream. Look at Divine and Hairspray, you know, even though she came from really subversive roots, you know. Baltimore. Yes. The, the, <laughs> the, the family-friendly fun and wholesome message of Hairspray do not owe a lot to Pink Flamingos or Female Trouble or any of John Waters' earlier films. So, yeah, it's kind of always been there in different forms, but this this just seems like the most prominent wave. My own children watch Drag Race, mm. so there's an ex- there's a generational acceptance, and it's a, it is a universal kind of acceptance. So I, mm. yeah, you're right when you start to police it. 
are you, who are you placing it for? And I yeah. guess, but then, yes, it's, then exactly. it's like anything that you can view on online or television. The censoring needs to come from within. If it's children watching, and of course, like anything, you you know, you as a parent need to more, mm. and maybe they have those conversations when you're wondering why they're all calling each other cunt in a workroom. <laughs> I, I, baby, I don't know, baby. It's just what they do. The art, baby, drag. Yeah, <laughs> that's art. Ah, that's vernacular. That's, that's, convers- that's, that's how they love each other. <laughs> but yeah, you see, to me, that the, the entertainment comes from in those sort of contexts that we were talking about. Yeah, the talent and... The only talent and, you have is spinning someone's credit card. Whose credit card? <laughs> Sorry, go on, William. You know, the the um, the whole dressing up is sort of an, an element of what um, contributes the humour there. But then when you look at, like, RuPaul's Drag Race, there's not really a lot of humour to me in what I've observed on that show. I mean, a lot of it's more about lip-syncing and choreography, which, yeah. you know... Is that pushing out a broader perspective than what drag is actually about? I mean, are we crossing over into another territory? I mean, some of the most successful queens on the shows are the more well-rounded ones who can do a stand-up comedy set. They can do a cabaret performance and really can hold a room in that way. Um, You know, I'm thinking of Bob the Drag Queen, Bianca Del Rio, Jinx Monsoon, Alaska... Ben de la Creme. Ben de la Creme. So many. And I see what you mean. There is, you know, it does seem like the bread and butter of what they have to be able to do is look glamorous and lip sync. Um, however, the ones the ones who have really launched themselves into wider success are the ones who have a, a really a, a much wider skill set. All right. Well, thank you both very much for joining um, our podcast. Um, I'd just like to thank you for bringing your calm and thoughtful energy to the podcast. I feel like it's the most cerebral yes, episode I was, ever. I was just thinking, I'm like, yeah. wow, this is... I, I, <laughs> it's, just, it's a very kumbaya moment. You know that kumbaya moment? It's like the aha moment, but this is bolos. And I really feel like that we, re- we really, really had a, had a nice kumbaya moment. And I, and I hope that we can have more more of this um either through skype or if you guys come come back i know william fell in love with mayfair and hopefully he'll be moving he'll be moving to london soon (laughs) and juju um just move here because i want you to and that's it well thank you very much thank you to all our listeners who've been listening and following us on spilling the gnt this is bolo and dr tom and we'll see you later thank you lots of love guys see you soon Bye. bye